And John 1 1 says, someone? In the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, and what does John 1 1 mean? Just exactly what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's a really interesting statement as we deal with the truth, because we're going to be exposed to a lot of things that people are talking about in reference to hell, and we're going to have to decide whether it's truth or not. Because is there any such thing as absolute truth? Yes. Of course. And what is that? God's Word. It's the only place that we can go, and I make a big deal out of this tonight, because we are going to be exposed to teaching on hell that is, by the way, not new, uh, that, is, that is going to challenge us because it is going to challenge us at the human level. Because quite frankly, there's really not much about hell that I like. <laughs> and I'm influenced by the fact that I don't like it. But it doesn't matter whether I like it or not as relates to whether it's true. But if I'm not careful, because it's uncomfortable, and I don't necessarily like the fact that hell even exists, quite frankly, I have to be very careful that I don't read my dislike into what Scripture says. I have to take Scripture for what it says, not what I want it to say, based on the fact that I don't like the fact that even hell exists. But we're going to be confronted with that. Because I frankly have some why questions. And I hope you do too. Turn to John 14, 6 in regards to truth. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. We're very familiar with that scripture. Very familiar with that scripture. And Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I find it really interesting that in the topic of hell in the Bible, Jesus speaks more about it than any one other person. Isn't that interesting? Now, everybody in this room, I'm sure, is quite comfortable with the fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that nobody is going to come to the Father but through him because you're all very narrow people, right? Okay. You're very narrow and uh, there's a governor uh, in the Midwest that was like that, that understands a lot about that right now. Mm -hmm. He's very narrow according to the secular community that we tend to want to associate or have to associate with, right? So God's word, word is truth regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of what we think about it. The absoluteness of God's truth 
has to absolutely govern everything that we talk about in regards to this topic or any other. gives greater emphasis on the fact that he said, I tell you. I know the truth, I tell you the truth, I am the truth. Wow. There is tremendous gravity to those words when you think, and and the, the the great news, of course, is that we believe that. And I'm hoping that as we go through this series on hell and we see what Jesus said, and we ask ourselves the hard questions, which we are going to start on tonight. We're going to start with some tough questions. And then we're going to go through some, now that's a good question, opportunities do. Because I'm sure that there are some questions in this room right now that some of you have about hell that you don't understand, that you don't like, or that you don't have the answer to. And we're going to try to deal with those because this is an important topic. So to properly study the biblical truth about hell, we need to open our minds. Okay? Scripture says renew your mind. We have to have an open mind and an open heart. And we have to allow room for the Holy Spirit to work. Otherwise, we will allow our preconceptions and in some cases misconceptions or dislikes to enter into the equation. And that would be wrong on virtually every level. Amen? So, the truth is the truth regardless. And you can add anything past regardless that you want to. The truth is the truth. And so we will be seeking out that truth. Why is that? There are so many opportunities to share the truth. And let me ask you this. Have you had the experience with the, with the street corner preachers? With the signs? The hellfire brimstone guys? You're going to hell! Yeah. You heard those guys? A couple of months ago, I flew somebody down to San Diego and I had to kill the whole day because they were doing their thing and I stayed down there and then, and then we flew home later that night. And so we went to, uh, what's the big park down there? Cabo um, Park. Because uh, there's museums, there's an aviation museum that's closed when we got there. <laughs> so, uh, and there was a group down there, and there was maybe 10 or, or 15 of them, and they had these huge signs. And I have to tell you, I was really, frankly, uncomfortable for them, not for me, as they were shouting at the crowds that they were going to hell. They also shared the tr- that's that might have been true, but they were sharing also the truth of the gospel. What got me so concerned about that is the response that the crowds had. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with these people. And I just thought, oh my gosh. Because to be honest with you, my first thought was, they're doing more damage than they're doing good. But are they? Because that was my thought, and I started studying God's word on hell. Oh my gosh, 
what they were saying doesn't even come close to what we're going to see that Jesus says. And I was confronted with that. Now, my personality is in the sense that I'm going to go stand and hold one of those signs personally. But I have to be honest, I was, I was challenged by the fact that they were standing and there was, there was no untruth being spoken by any of these people. They were sugarcoating. So I don't know how many people are going to come to Christ with that kind of a message being shouted at them. And maybe, maybe some did, maybe some do. I'm sure God uses that. But boy, it made me uncomfortable. It just made me uncomfortable, and I had to ask myself, why? Hmm. Interesting. Did you why? have any dialogue with them? No. <laughs> <laughs> because, because of the discomfort. And I was down there, um, as my, my co-pilot that I was with is, is, is also um, a, a believer, so he's a solid Christian guy. And uh, and it was one of those things, you know. I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and you know. And we didn't even have to communicate because it was one of those things. Do we do anything? Or do we say anything? Or do we just keep going? You know, it was it was one of the, and we're believers. Excuse me. Very challenging. So the last thing, as far as go ahead, Scott. I was going to say last year we went to Camarillo to the street. And we were walking up and down like this, and there was a group, we walked by where Christians would pray for you. Okay, okay. so we walked out in one direction, and I'm going, oh, that must be tough for them to, you know, to deal with this crowd, you know, like you were talking about. But they were not there to yell anything, they were just coming to let us pray for you. So when we came back, I just go, I'm going to pray for you. You know, wasn't anything wrong, I didn't need, you know, I mean, everybody needs prayer, but I just went in. So that they would have something to do, sort of, you know. Mm-hmm. But as I went, but I had that same feeling. I don't know if I want to go there, but I'm a Christian. What, you know, are they going to pray for me? Oh my gosh, you know. You're, you're afraid to go in, even though it's your own kind. And, Isn't that interesting? But I went in, they prayed, you know, what can we pray for? Oh, nothing. I just came in because I'm a Christian. We all need prayer. So they prayed, you know, it's a general thing. Yeah. A couple of them did. They were, they lost me. They didn't know where I was going. Well, speaking of praying, because of the seriousness of of this topic, I would ask you that each week for the next few weeks while we're doing this, if just on your way here, just on your way here, just pray. Pray over God's word being clear. Pray that we would honor and glorify God in in searching out his wisdom and uh, and what he wants to teach us so that we're equipped so that we're not Scotty, we're not so concerned about or nervous about or afraid to do what either one of you or I just talked about okay uh, as, especially as it relates to the fact that it's very serious because Jesus even said narrow is the road and and what and so that what did he say about the other road? It's quite broad. Oh, that's we're confronted with that one too, as we would frankly, and so would he, not want any to perish, as we know. So I would ask you to pray. Well, you just said not so long ago that, that there's the um, 
What about the murderers? And how about a rapist? Oh, it's, it's, it's easy. And it's what? But not if they turn around and come to accept Christ, just like the thief on the cross. Mm. That's, that is another interesting point. God created hell. And in our humanity, we find it easier to deal with a very evil person going to a place of... Well, we're going to find out what it's a place of. Um, and we find that much easier than, for example, somebody that perhaps isn't a believer, but they're just the nicest person. Sweet, generous, and not a believer. You know, Bill, I, I, I don't look at it that way. How do you look at it? I, just, I think it's horrible anyone going to hell. Mm. I've never ever looked at it. Even, even Satan is like, you know, mm. too bad he can't read it. And that's a great way, by the way, to look at it. Mm-hmm. Because if we do look at, that, at it that way, you see, that is looking at it through the eyes of God. Because that's precisely how the Lord looks at everyone. The murderer, the rapist, the child molester. The, you Pick one. That's easy for us to say, oh, that's evil. And they're not repentant. But God doesn't view them that way. That's because he doesn't view on a scale. Aha. Right. Uh-huh. Good point. That's a great so point. you commit one, you commit them all. That's right. So and people so, don't want to admit to that. Really. Certainly. Certainly, because we know, you know, Pastor Richie's been talking uh, on, on Sunday mornings, I guess they call that preaching, um, on, on <laughs> sin. And um, I'm waiting uh, for him to get to that, that place where he's going to talk about uh, degrees of sin, because are there? <laughs> there is in my eyes. <laughs> but I can't support it biblically. Right. Because not in God's eyes. Because what? We've all fallen short. Because we offend God when we sin. But when we do certain sins, we offend each other more with Mm. certain sins that we do. So that makes it more difficult for us to think that certain sins are worse. Mm -hmm. It's very human. It's very human. And so as I look around, it's pretty much, I'm pretty sure we're batting a thousand in here relative to everybody being human. Most of the humans, yeah. Yeah, most of the humans in here. Scotty's the only one. That <laughs> 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 yeah. No, not Scotty's. That's a little But but we are human, and, and and so we're and that's the fallibility that we have, and so we tend to, and we have to be very careful. So thank you for bringing that up because it's really important that we view all sin, that we even view hell, that we view every topic, that we view everything in life through a lens. Of not only scripture, but through God's eyes. I mean, remember, there wasn't anybody in here that was good enough. There isn't anybody in here that is good enough. There's never been anybody. There has never been anybody that is good enough. Just one. But by the grace of God. So as we look at this, we it's really important that we keep those disclaimers in mind. Okay, we need to see 
hell through the lens of God, which is through his word, because that's how he has revealed hell to us. Which now is the last disclaimer I have, because I've read the book 23 Minutes in Hell. And uh, I'm going to tell you that although I'm sure that the author of 23 Minutes in Hell uh, had an experience of some kind, we have to look at that the same way we look at these travel logs on heaven. Okay? Because Scripture says that nobody ever died, went to heaven, came back to life, and wrote a book about it. That's not happened. Has, can God give somebody a vision? Of course he can. And might somebody have had a vision that you or I didn't have about hell? Of course they could. And you will know whether it was an accurate vision of hell if you can line it up with Scripture. And the moment that you can't, there is a false teacher. So be careful what you read. Because our theology and our doctrine has to come from Scripture, not from our experiences. So there's going to be some challenges. Anybody challenged by the doctrine of hell? God created hell. In the church. Well, let me ask this. Are there people going to hell? Yes. Okay. I got a question. If heaven's 1,600 square cubic miles, how big Now that's a good question. <coughs> Especially if the road is wide. Well, um, are there going to be more people in hell than there are in question? Uh, in question, in heaven? I would say yes. Mike would say yes. Why would you say yes? There's some don't knows, and Mike has a. Well, because it says that it's it's easier to it's easier for a camel to travel the eye of a needle than it is to get into heaven. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know it's not easy. And there's a lot of there's over time since the beginning of man. There's a lot of people that haven't made it. Yeah, it's interesting because then we have to look at the scripture that says, we, we referenced it already once tonight, we, you know, there's both the narrow and the wide road. And so, uh, by implication, by implication, the road to heaven is much narrower. But see, we put God in a box, don't we? And we want God to save everybody because that's what his heart is, right? Because the wide road follows <laughs> well, and, and we have to take a look at that biblically. So, how big is hell? Does the, let me ask Betty. Betty spent a great deal of time on the computer today. Did you look that question up? I got questions that are how big is hell? Does anybody have an idea how big hell is? It's an abyss. It's, it's a pit, it's an abyss, and it's deep. Okay. Well, I've seen pits that are only like three feet deep. God's people have always been a remnant. Okay, and so how big is hell? Does the Bible tell us? Big enough to hold everybody that's going there. Big enough to hold everybody that's going there. We're going to ask. We're going to ask and answer some of these questions biblically. But there is no biblical answer to that specific question. 
The interesting thing is, is that a lot of people say, well, you know, there's so much information in the Bible about hell compared to heaven, and that's just, and that's wrong. It's just the opposite. There's a lot of information that we were given. We just spent nine weeks talking about heaven, and we scratched the surface of it. And I'm telling you, the Bible has a lot more to say about heaven than it does about hell. I wonder why. Hell was mentioned 167 times in the Bible. Hmm. There's a lake of fire. Okay. Oh, a lake has got to be, I mean, it's not like a pond. It doesn't say it's a pond of fire. Mm. <laughs> Didn't say it was great. And the Bible doesn't give us an answer to that question in human measurement no. as as um, as Jerusalem. It doesn't say the ancient right. went and measured it. And that it's the that's same. correct. <laughs> Where exactly is it? Ah, now that's another good question. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's a good question. Hang on to that question for a second because we're going to get to some questions here uh, and I want to really open it up because there's going to be a lot of... Uh, I want to hear from y'all you know, what, what, what you know. Okay, let's, let, I mean, we have to just almost get a baseline okay, for what we know and what we don't know or what we think and then we have to, then we have to square that up, don't we? We have to square that up with Scripture. So we're going to be challenged with the doctrine of hell. We're going to be challenged with your traditions. I've heard it said that um, that uh, in fact we need to we need to address this because I, um, I can embarrass her because she allows me to do that because she's my sister and she loves me and I love her and it's, and it's great. So Susan, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love to pick on each other. It's okay. It's okay. Susan a couple of weeks ago said that hell is in the center of the earth because the Bible talks about it being under death. Yeah, it's interesting. God's so, word does say that it is down or under. Great, could we're going to under creation. Oh, it could be. Yeah. We are. Oh, I don't know, but it does say that. And so, <laughs> you know, are there? Do we interpret these things? We're going to look at that. We need to look at that. The Bible does not tell us the uh, geological location of hell. But when you think about it, but, I had when you asked the question, it was the same thing she said, and that is, well, it might be. But we'll look at that, because it has a reference to its location, and so we're confronted with that, okay? And there are some things that are alluded to, and there are things that are quite specific. Jesus said some very specific things, and then talked in parables. Diane has a... Well, God's cre- going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So how can it be in the center of the earth? And it's going to be perfect. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Why don't you create it by getting rid of that and putting it somewhere else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Those are those are all great yeah, ideas so, and thoughts. So, what does Scripture say? After after everything's said and done, and and Satan is finally destroyed, and everybody along with him in hell, does that mean like destroyed, gone, forever destroyed, or what's that? We're going to look at that because that's also a very important question. Because I see some. <laughs> <laughs> because you hear you hear that, but then you also hear of the eternal hell, <laughs> <laughs> of being in hell for eternity. Ah. Well, how you suffer for eternity if you're done away? That's why. That's why I'm You know, when it says destroyed, 
right? I mean, the trust destroyed me and I think. Mm. It's gone. Yeah, somebody said a word down here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Well, we don't we know what happens to the old earth. And the, and the, and the old earth is what? The old earth, according to Scripture, is destroyed. The NIV used the, uses the word destroyed. And if you'll remember, what I said is I'm not fond of that particular um, translation using the word destroyed because in our world, destroyed means annihilated, right? And there is a there is um, uh, there is a, a doctrinal position about hell that we must look at because it's more popular than you might imagine. That is called annihilationism, which means that there is a group that believes, and you might be surprised how many believe that hell isn't eternal. We have to deal with that issue. And the reason it's not eternal is because God annihilates people ultimately in the lake of fire because of one scripture that we must look at, and we must look at it in context, that deals with the lake of fire being prepared for Satan and his fallen angels. And so we're going to, hopefully before the evening is out, start this series off with a great example of how to to modify your doctrine by taking scripture completely out of context. Mm -hmm. Because the context is critical. Without context, I can make scripture say darn near anything I want it to. And people do. <laughs> and they have. And it's been happening for years. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. So these challenges are even going to include the nature and attributes of God. Because we're going to... One of the questions that we absolutely must answer, because it's the most popular one out there. Many of you know my wife. And my wife... Uh, you know, just walks the fence as a as a, uh, and she's okay. If we tell me, I mean, she's a she's a she's a uh, sympathetic non-believer. And so the the question for her today um, is, how do you feel about this good and loving God that sends people to hell? And because I knew that would push all of her buttons. And let me tell you, did that push some buttons? He doesn't send them to hell. You send yourself to hell by not believing. Really? Are you sure? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Because we're going to win. No. That's good. I'm glad you think that. Because God, we're going to God does say he hardens some people's hearts. Oh, really? So, so we have a... Yeah, we see that with the Israelites, don't we? Okay. And so, I'm telling you, that's really interesting because that's a really good and very popular question in the unbelieving world that how could this God that you worship and he's loving doesn't sound very loving to me that first of all he creates hell and then he sends people there. I don't want to believe in a God like that. Do you? I mean, really. Seriously. No, that's a legitimate question now. Mike, do you want to believe in a God that would send anybody to hell? Yeah. Yeah. He's God. He's not whatever he wants to do. Ah. There is no answer to that. Mm. Well, that's one of the challenges. Because we're going to tear into that question. 
Because you know what? Biblically, there is an answer. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised. Not in what I think. But we are going to be confronted and challenged by what the Bible says. So there's a little precursor. We're probably going to be there in a couple of weeks. So you got a couple of weeks to do a little more research, Betty, than go So that's my that's my little trailer. So you can you can study a little bit. Well, because you see, we we need to know what God's word says. Okay. So because my argument with that is mm-hmm. John 3.16. Mm-hmm. You don't believe in God, you're not going to have eternal life. Mm. Every, everybody has eternal life. You just choose which eternal life you're going to have. No, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if you're not believing in him, you're not going to be having eternal life. Does it, does it say that? No. Or are you reading that into what... Those words. You're, you're okay. interpreting yeah. parish as an end. Okay. Parish has another significance. We're going to look at that. That's, a, that's well, excellent, though, because we have to look at that. Because we're going to take a look at the annihilationism crowd, and we're going to see what it is that they point to to get to that doctrinal position of no. This loving God will not send people to hell for an eternity. He's only going to send those that love him, believers, to a heaven for an eternity with him. Because it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be loving to punish somebody for an eternity. And we got to look at John 3.16. And uh, I'm going to tell you that there are at least um, a dozen scriptures that we can look at that will answer that question. But you can turn it around and say, how would, how could, I mean, if God's going to let everybody go, then what's the point in being a Christian and doing the right thing? You could do whatever you wanted to do because, hello, I can, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go ahead. Well, somewhere in the scripture it does say you're going to be tormented forever. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I just don't know where Somewhere. it is. Mm-hmm. Joanne, Joanne's reading ahead. Joanne. I was going to say, I just opened my Bible and I wasn't even looking for it, but I found uh, Jeremiah 33 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Mm. Well, if we call on him and ask him for the answers. Well, that is a beautiful segue that the Lord just used. Thank you very much. (laughs) For the three scriptures that I would like us to look at, they're brief scriptures that will now set the tone, and then we're going to start diving into some of these challenging questions about hell. What is it? Where is it? Why is it? Those are the kinds of questions that we're going to be answering. And the first one is Isaiah 55.9. By the way, they're all Old Testament scripture references. Hmm. Hmm. And these three scriptures are going to just set the tone. So when you pray each week before we go and we talk about this difficult topic of hell, use these three as a tone setter, if you will, for your prayer to allow God to speak as we learn his truth 
about health. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hmm. Who said that? Okay, and there's one of the points and one of the themes and one of the ideas that we must continue to promote as we go through this study, that God's ways are higher than our ways, and the question in our mind is, do we submit to that, or do we project onto this topic what others are popularly today in Christianity projecting onto this topic of hell by trying to erase it altogether. No, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's a joke or a joke or whatever it is that they don't want to go to heaven, want to go to hell and have fun with my yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to see how fun hell really is. Yeah. I had the, I've been quiet about it, but you asked the question earlier, and I had stereophonic answer. Both these two said the same thing separately. And that was what hell was. Would you say it, please? I don't know which word. It's the absence of God life. Yeah, the known absence of God. And we're going to look at that. So we talk about John 3.16, because, you know, doing that, that's, a, that's, that's such a great issue that we, that we must get uh, comfortable with in terms of what God's Word teaches us, uh, because we, we have to understand that is, is hell just the absence of God? Because that's, a, that's one of the primary questions. We have to ask, what is hell? What is the absence of God? What is the absence of God? Everything good. Okay, I have a question. I have a question. If God created hell and he's omnipresent, is he in hell? No, because it's separated from him. He has authority over it. Oh, so, so Satan doesn't have authority over hell? Okay. Well, we're going to see what the scripture has to say about that. We're going to see what the scripture has to say about that. How about Job? I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, let's Job 36, 26. And of course, A means just the first portion of that. So who's going to do that? How great is God beyond our understanding? That's good. What does that mean, Anna? His ways are higher than our ways, uh, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, I wonder if Isaiah was talking to Job here. <laughs> you know, anyway, how great is God beyond our understanding? And yet, the topic of hell is understandable. We're not going to leave the study without having a really good handle on the whys and the wherefores. But nobody is going to understand completely. I guarantee it. I, can get, I promise you, nobody is going to leave this study of hell completely understanding it. Because we can't understand the ways of God. And Psalm 115.3 Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. Who created hell? 
Alrighty then. Richie uses that word diatheke, which now for several months has been my favorite word because I just like to say it. <laughs> and so what does diatheke mean? Greater. greater to the lesser. Diatheke means the greater to the lesser. So as we go through this, again, we need to think about greater to the lesser. It doesn't matter what we like and we don't like. It doesn't even matter what we believe and we don't believe on one level. The level that it doesn't change the truth. Now, we want to believe the truth, but it doesn't matter if you choose not to believe the truth. That's still your choice. It doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. Amen? So we need to pray hell. Excuse me? We need to pray hell after When? That's a good question, too. Okay, we're going to answer that question as well. So, I hope you're writing some of these well, down because I'm not writing them all down because, you know, we have to have a now that's a good question moment around here. Well, he had to do it before the fall because he needed to be nice and warm before Satan got down there. So, in the beginning, he created everything. Well, there's, there's, uh, there's a sequentiality. Is, there, is that a word? Sounds good. Probably. I like it. Okay, you're all for it. Use it. There is sequentiality to the to the to the to the creation. Is there not? Okay, clearly we see that in Genesis. God created, and it and it was quite sequential. So let's take a look at when He created. At when He created. There was no need for hell before the fall. Hmm. Hmm. They just fell out. Yep. They were really kind of pushed out. Anywhere away from God. Okay. Now the question says we're going to we're going kind of random, and we're going to. By the way, we're going to harness this all in. <laughs> this is, but this is great because it's it's good to get all this out. Let's get all this out here. Let's get it out there, and and we need to address these issues because they're important. So, um, so so there you go. So so who's in hell? Nobody yet. Are you sure? Ah, uh, so there. See, we have we have a theologian in our midst because we have there's different. Why does the Bible have different words for hell? Okay, so there's a there's a oh, so that's where purgatory comes from. Is a holding hell? Like heaven, there's a there's a present hell and then a future hell. Yeah. A final hell. Yeah. There's a yes. Yeah. There's a no. Yes. There's a no, a yes, and a yes. Yeah. There's this there's this chasm. We got to we got to look at the Lazarus story, and we have to deal with we have to deal with that because that's important because. You know, we asked the question in the heaven series, where you go when you die? And that was a pretty easy answer, wasn't it, for us? Mm-hmm. If you're a believer, is it as easy a question if you're not a believer? Where do you go when you die? 
Well, what are the different words for hell in the Bible? Sheol, Hades, Gehenna. I mean, what, you know, what does that what does that mean? Because Jesus used all those words, and when we look at what Jesus says about hell, we got to know what that is. Because you know, some people, I'll, I'll pick on the annihilation kind of again for just a moment. Uh, so in the annihilation group, those people that have the doctrine of annihilation, meaning that that when you go to hell, yes, you do go to hell, but you, but you you are annihilated there. It's not an eternal thing. That's what they that's what they would say that Scripture teaches, and we're, we'll look at that to see if that's what it really teaches. But uh, so um, and so, where did they where did they get that? And what is Gehenna? And what is Sheol? What is the what did they call the dump outside the city where they put air, the garbage yeah. and even dead bodies? The Valley of Vienna. This is really interesting because when we look at this, we're going to get into the mindset of a first century Jew because if we don't get into the mindset of a first century Jew and we just read Jesus' words in terms of a 21st century Ohioan, we're, we're, we're doomed because we can't think about it in the way that his audience would have thought about it. That's one of the challenging things and quite frankly why I love the original languages. I wish I could speak and I never would be able to. But, um, but I have books that help. And so I love to go back to the Hebrew and the Greek because the words are so powerful. Because they're so descriptive and we have to see when we die and we're not a believer, we haven't put our faith in Christ that is a very important question and answer. Where do you go? What happens? Is it like the heavenly realms where there's a present heaven where there is physicality, but even Paul said, I don't know. Only God knows. Okay? And yet we see all the physicality, don't we? And so, what about hell? Is there physicality in hell? Is there a present hell? Is there a future hell? Is there a purgatory? As the Catholic Church would would teach, where you're in a you're in a holding pen, and you have a second chance there. Is there a second chance? There's no second chance, according to many in this room. Well, what does the Bible say? Where do people come up with the idea that there's a second chance? I like the idea of a second chance. I would think that it's not a very nice place even right now because the rich man that was in there was very thirsty and he said, could you just dip your finger in there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why. It could be. It's not where it's high. Not where could they have gone? Now, that, that's a good oh. question. And so, right. so why is it so important? I mean, we got this whole, this whole night. We're just setting up the conversation. So that we can dive into God's word and see what it says, because that's what matters, right? That's what matters. I, I I do enjoy this, by the way, because you see, if we if it's good to get all the ideas out on the table and throw them out there, and it's also good to say I don't get it. I don't, that's what I love about you know this was your idea, by the way. I I blame you, <laughs> which, which is a good blame, by the way, Mike, because this has been awesome. And so, so that's why I wanted to start this way because you know there's different ideas, and we and we need to come to terms with these different ideas. And so, uh, by the way, if we don't come to terms with these different ideas, Satan will just have his way. 
And if Satan is going to have his way, then we might as well just pack it up, order out for pizza and beer, and then spend the rest of the night talking philosophically about things that have no eternal value. Because that's what the world does. That's what the world does. But this has eternal consequences, and the value of what happens here is just as valuable as the gospel that we would be able to either preach with words or with our life. It's that important, especially as it relates to that question, why would this loving God send anybody to hell? There's a difference between hell and where you, you finally go, though. Isn't there? <coughs> is there? Because isn't there like hell and then at the end there's like the lake of fire? Well, there is a lake of fire. Is the lake of fire? Is it yeah, for Satan? Angels, yes. Okay, it's created, it, was, it was created by God for Satan and his angels, and we're going to look at that scripture. Because it but, says, I was reading here, it says that Hades, in, in the end times, Hades will give up the dead that were in there. Mm-hmm. And each person will be judged according to what he has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we, when we stop the, the, the end time study, what, what, what ultimately is the end of the, of, the, of the end time? There's something that's going to happen. The white throne of judgment. The white throne judgment is going to take place, and there isn't anybody. In fact, Scripture says even that non-believers, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Well, that does it for me. I think that if that's the case, then everybody gets a second chance because everybody's going to confess and every knee is going to bow. So everybody's going to heaven, right? Oh, it's too late. How do you know that? Oh. And we're confronted with that. Because, you know, there's a whole group of people that don't believe that. There's a whole group of people who don't believe that. In fact, we've heard this before. And this we're talking about is um, this teaching that everybody gets a second chance. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, this loving God is going to allow everybody into heaven. Because how could, by his very nature, he not let everybody into heaven? It's, it's an oxymoron that God would create this heaven and send people that you love and that I love there. He's also a just God, and that's one of his characteristics is that he's not only loving, he's also a just God. Oh, so there's justice in the equation as well. Yeah. How does a parent turn their kid in for murder if they know they've murdered someone? Mm. Does that mean they don't love mm-hmm. mm. Well, Scripture points to tradition and separation and punishment and damnation and uses the image of fire. Mm-hmm. I find this one interesting. Fire, upper, fire and darkness are used as images of hell. And in my way of thinking, wait a minute, how can there be fire and dark? Doesn't fire create light? That's an interesting thought. But it's an image. And Jesus uses this image of fire and heat and damnation and judgment and punishment. And does God punish his children? He disciplines. He disciplines. Well, then, is judgment ultimately punishment? 
as relates to hell? Sounds like yeah, it because the Bible, the Revelation says that Hades will be thrown into the Oh, yeah, well, there's justice. Uh, yeah, we got to deal with that. Because the fact of the matter is, if, if it's real, we believe it to be real. Mm-hmm. This place called hell. And if scripture does indeed point to the fact that that is punishment and it is God's just punishment, ouch! How, 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 how do you... That's hard, isn't it? It's got to put it somewhere. If they're, uh, if they're eternal. Joanne, can you believe in a God <laughs> like that? Well, he's not. He's he's holy. He's not. He can't have that around him. Yeah, he's. There's people going to hell. Yeah. Look what he did with Pharaoh. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. Oh boy. He hardened his heart by giving him choices after choices. Wow. But he hardened his heart. He allowed his heart to be hardened. You avoid going to hell. By having simple faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that. That's what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. But what about the ones so that we're don't? Really? I mean, so we're going to hell, we're sending ourselves by not mm-hmm. believing in Jesus. God is mm-hmm. You sure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 I love the fact that there's some real assurance in this room that God doesn't send anybody to hell. I can't wait to dive into that because we're going to spend a whole night on that one question. A whole night on that one question. And we're going to look at what Scripture says about that because it's important. So this this idea that people are going to go to hell has a counter uh, idea that nobody is going to go to hell, Right? And that's called universalism, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we've heard that before. I mean, there are churches in this valley that would preach that everybody's everybody's going to to heaven. In fact, I recently heard somebody say that that heaven is a theory. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I've heard that said. Well, if heaven is a theory, then then its counterpart, hell, would have to be a theory, right? Oh, yeah. And what is a theory? Has to be proved. It's a, a, a theory, is an idea, a concept, um, um, and maybe even a mechanism. But 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 you can't you can't grab hold of a of a of a theory. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't know any different, and I was taught the theory of evolution, and I believed because I didn't know any different. I saw the pictures of the monkeys all the way, you know, all the way up. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I I, I had to ask the question. But wait a minute, why are there still monkeys then? You know, that was the first question that I had. But nonetheless, it was a theory of evolution. And, and there are people in the church that would believe that, that this theory of universalism is based on the fact that everybody is going to heaven. And so is that a new idea that there's no hell and everybody's going to heaven? No. But how many, how many Christians, professors, they, they're going to heaven because they've accepted Jesus, have decided... They don't care where everybody else goes. It's not them. Yeah, well, that's another challenging uh, biblical construct because um, what did Jesus say to the religious people? You brood of vipers. Oh, you brood of vipers. These were the religious people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did the people say at the front of Joshua? They said, hey, I prophesied in your name. And he said, go away. I don't know you. You can be religious and not believe in Jesus. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Sure you can. Oh, I'm I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. Heard that one before? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially here at Omaha. It's a real popular thought in this place. It's a real. I mean, they've got an institute and a school built around that. Oh, very, very, very spiritual, but not religious. For fear that I might offend somebody. So this second century theologian by the name of Origen came up with this idea of universalism uh, uh, 150 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. 150 years. That's a pretty short period of time. So that was, that was pushing 2,000 years ago. Um, and he came up with this idea. And he was, a, by the way, the Catholic Church uh, considers him a, a, a church father. Not a saint. They didn't give him sainthood. But he is a, a church father, if you will, to this day. And Origen came up with this idea that everybody is going to have a second chance. That everybody, because God is going to provide the opportunity for everybody to make amends. And so he did this. And by the way, he was a brilliant theologian. We tend to think that people that lived 1900 years ago were not as smart as us for some reason. But that's not the case at all because God created them unique. And he gave those people uh, plenty of, of intellect. So there were people 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day that were just as smart as the smartest person that is here around us today, right? So, so Origen is this scholar and theologian, and he comes up with this idea of the pre-existence of souls, meaning that, that God created all of us, but we were pre-existent. <coughs> this was a church teaching, by the way. This was a church teaching that Origen taught. And so Origen taught this pre-existence of souls and that there would be a final reconciliation to God for all creatures because of his love. No help. Full-on universalism. And this was 1900 years ago or so that this was taught. And so the universalism that is in the evangelical church today, there's nothing new. This is a 1900-year-old theology that has been picked up. And why? Why? Because Satan uses it? Because it's easy? No accountability? No accountability? Okay. It allows you to live your life however you want to live it. Oh, it gives it gives us the ability to sit on the throne. The smartest born gospel. Okay. Well, yeah, All right. Because you can do whatever you want to do and say, well, I'm going to have a second chance later. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? So if there is a second chance, I, hey, let's get that beer. It's not too late for pizza, is it? I mean, come on, let's go. Let's have let's party and have fun because we're just going to die and get a second chance anyway. Okay. And so and so, how did you come up with that? Is that where works begin too? In that same mm-hmm. area? Similar, but let's that? take a look at the scripture real quickly. Let's take a look at the scripture uh, and we'll end with this tonight and then next week we'll just dive right headlong into what is hell? Where is hell? Why would God send anybody to hell? Does he send anybody to hell? Let's start dealing with those types of questions. But first, 
let's find out why the church today is speaking so popularly about this universal approach to everybody going to heaven. I mean, there's a, there's a church in, 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 in Houston, Texas that has 40,000 members. And the pastor, who is a wonderful, charismatic guy, teaches nothing but feel-good Christianity. And this is one of the feel-goods. Oh, it feels so good, and God is so good, and he wants the best for you, including wealth. And you've got to be careful with that, because some of the things he says are, are right on target. People are coming to Christ in that place. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is something wrong with doctrine that doesn't have biblical support. And so the universalist approach right now is quite popular, and if you wanted to grow a church big, just tell people what they want to hear. And don't worry about the truth. Because the truth is tough. This is the tough truth. Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 says this. Therefore, by the way, every false teaching in the church has its basis in Scripture. Every single one of them. So if you want to hear something that makes you hmm, think because it's false and you had never heard it before, the reason you question it is because it sounds similar to God's word, but it's a lie. So check out the universalist approach, just as an example. Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, so here we have every knee will bow, and every tongue is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So clearly, that is an indication that everybody is going to have that opportunity at some point in time, according to Origen and Rob Bell, that they are going to get this opportunity. There's going to be this opportunity to be able to come to Christ because it says so right here. Every knee is going to bow to him. They're going to acknowledge that he is Lord. It says so right here. So everybody is going to bow. Also a passage that says that he died for all. That's right. None will perish. That, and John 3.16. Another perfect example. Mm-hmm. You see, because God wants no one to perish. And so Philippians right here says that every knee is going to bow before the Lord. And they're going to acknowledge him as Lord. Isn't that great news? No. But no, it's not, because you've got to read Philippians one twenty-seven and 28. Because there's another part of the story. You can't take that out of context. Why are people bowing the knee, and why are they acknowledging Jesus Christ? There's a great white mountain judgment that is going to take place, where the truth is absolutely revealed, whether you like it or not. But some are still going to deny it. And some are going to deny it, but they are going to acknowledge. Okay? They may deny it here, but there is going to be an acknowledgement before the Lord that He is just that. He is Lord. But Philippians 1, 27 and 28 says this. This is what Paul says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Woo-hoo, that's easy for us. That's, what we, that's our desire. As much as we fail at that, Okay, but that's our desire, isn't it? 
is we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way but those uh, by those who oppose you. But listen to this. This is a sign to them, that's the them that oppose this is a sign to them that oppose you, Christian, okay, that they will be destroyed. Right? Uh-oh, now your doctrinal position is coming in line, baby. Yeah, all right. But that you will be saved, and that by God. So there it is. I got a, I got a doctrinal position here that says, no, hell is not forever. So right here. It says those that oppose you Christians are going to be destroyed. But, but what else does it say? It contradicts. It contradicts the doctrine of universalism that says everybody's in. It can't mean both. See, those that face God that are going to be destroyed are going to be destroyed, but we have to look at the word destroyed and what does that mean? What does the word destroyed mean? Because those that embrace God will be saved. And those that won't, now we have to look at the balance of Scripture and see what destroyed means. Because the word destroyed really means separation. Because why were they created? The same reason you and I were. To walk with God, to be reconciled, reconciled to God, to love God, and it's a love relationship. Everything that God does is a love relationship. He loves us so much that what? John three sixteen. All right, it's about love, you see. But universalism then requires us to take these scriptures out of context. And we can't do that because we have to look at the whole of Scripture. That's just one little example. And how about this one? 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There's the universalist again. Oh, you see, there's this death because Adam sinned. And there was a curse. See, if we get this in the church, that's easy to get, isn't it? That's, a, that's the wrong interpretation of that scripture. Uh, well, of course it is, because, but right here it says, the important word here is all. It all. says that, so in, in Christ, Christ is the key word. But what does that mean? That means having made a choice to be in Christ and believe that he is. No, it doesn't. What it means is, is that all means all. all. God created all. He created everything. He created every person, even unbelievers. When they die, they're going to go someplace. I don't know where, but they're going to have this opportunity, and then, in Christ, at that judgment, all. That means everybody. Doesn't all still mean all? I'm going to come back as a prairie chicken. <laughs> well, maybe you will come back as a prairie chicken, but I doubt it. category. So all is the group of people that are in Christ. So all in Christ. Oh, so what we have to do is we have to keep reading the next two verses to get the context for that then, don't we? Because a universalist will say, no, all means all. I've read the book. All means all. But no, it doesn't. Because you can't stop at all. What you have to do is you have to read verse 23 and 24 that says, but, in, but each in turn, Christ 
the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those that belong to him. See, the context is he's talking about the resurrection. Yours and mine, resurrected to a glorified body, you see. And so that's what he's talking about. But then the end will come. All of a sudden, he's talking about this destruction again. So he's talking about, so all in Christ that will be made alive. And the in Christ means that those that are going to be resurrected in a glorified body to live an eternity in heaven with the Lord. And then he says in verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed, there's that word again, all dominion, authority, and power. And there's what we learned about in the new heaven and the new earth at the end of the end times. That is ultimately what's going to happen. Now, we haven't even dealt with what, what hell is and whether or not there's annihilationism, meaning that, no, there is not etern- eternality to, to hell. But is that, what, is that what God's word teaches? Or is that just what we think? There's no danger of going ahead with any scripture, right? I mean, of what we're doing? No. All right. Uh, the answer to that is, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in their image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Mm-hmm. Sounds like those people are going to be torment forever and ever. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. That's Revelation 14, 11. Revelation 14, 11, because we have to look at Revelation quite a bit in, in this health uh, series, just like we looked at it quite a bit in the Heaven series, because it has a lot to a lot to say there. Jesus spoke a lot. And so, um, but, you know, Paul wasn't done, by the way, when he was talking here in 1 Corinthians about this, about this, this, this real sobering idea of, of all meaning all that are in Christ, all at the second coming of Christ, all that are believers in Christ, because the rest are going to be destroyed. And we have to deal with that destruction. And what does that mean? He says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, the next one's on your list there. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person be cursed. Come, Lord. Now we're confronted with that person be cursed. Who is the person that Paul is talking about? This is a warning. By the loving God, what do well, loving God wouldn't curse. What did he do with the fall? I don't know, but if I was God, I wouldn't do... Would you, would you do that if you were God? I don't know. I don't know what God is thinking. Uh, <laughs> and, and there we are. Back to the three passages that are guiding us through this because we have to look at Isaiah. His ways are higher than our ways. And Job, how great is God. How great is God. Beyond our understanding. Who can understand the mind of God? I can't, okay? But it doesn't change the fact that I sometimes think over the last few weeks as I've been reading and studying and praying that if I were God, I wouldn't do that because I would much rather have somebody have a second chance. I mean, haven't you had a second chance? He gives us a second chance while we're here on earth. Over and over and over. Chance after chance after chance by his grace, and all we have to do is repent. That's it. It's, it's just really that simple. But Paul gives a wonderful warning here, and that warning is that there is no such thing as universalism. I use just these two scripture references to show that we are going to spend the next three weeks or so looking at hell and dealing with the issues of taking God's word out of context to make it say what makes us feel good and not the hard reality of what hell is. 
If they were given a second chance, would they make a different decision? When when we look at when we look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we're gonna I think see some real some real solid answers to some real hard questions because I think we're going to see that there is somebody that understands the reality of separation from God, the chasm that exists between heaven and hell, and and knows because of where he is, he has that picture. And of course, that is the that is one of the primary parables that we get to in learning a lot about hell, right? It's like God told him, if he's not going to listen to me, he's sure not going to listen to you. Mm. Interesting. Because they won't. Right. That's exactly right, because that's a truth spoken by God. So this 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 teaching of universalism by origin in the second century, okay, is 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 has crept into the church in a very big way. It's just been repopularized, okay, by the emergent church movement of, of fifteen years ago is when that thing really kinda of got started. And you'll notice how it's kind of fizzled out. But nonetheless, it's still around, and it has it has crept in, and it has destroyed some churches, quite frankly. But but so what is the what is the similarity between the second century false teaching of universalism, where we'll all have a second chance and everybody's going to heaven and there is no hell, and the 21st century? Um, uh, many books so I, I pick on Rob Bell, and uh, actually some of the things that Bell says are, are actually uh, quite biblically correct, uh, but not many. Uh, and so, uh, but what's what's the what's the similarity? What what do they what do they both have to pull from? It's the same argument, yeah. So you just decide what you don't like, and then you change the context of the scripture so that you can espouse a point of view that makes it really easy for people. And then what you do, you deny the authority of scripture, and then all of a sudden you project your worldview onto the text of scripture, whatever your worldview might be, and then you get to take all of that out of context. And why do they do it? Because they get a following. That's why, and it's been happening for years. And I and I love scripture uh, that talks about, especially the Book of Jude. If you want to read, the, it's a quick read. <laughs> it's a very quick read. You might want to read the Book of Jude and and, and see what 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 the Book of Jude has to say um, uh, about about false teachers and about 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 what their what their destination may look like. And, or Second Peter is a is a great one. I mean, and Second Peter, all of Second Peter talks about. All of Second Peter, and you got Timothy, you got Titus, you got. I mean, you know, Scripture is replete with with making sure that we divide the Word of God rightly, and so and so. Don't be afraid as we as we move forward, going over the next couple of weeks. Um, let's just get it out there. Let's get the questions that we have out there. Let's ask the hard questions, and then we're going to jump into Scripture next week, starting with the real hard questions and. I don't like to start with the easy ones first. I like to start with the hard ones. So we're going to jump right into some of these hard questions um, next week, and 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 it's and it's going to be it's going to be difficult. But we're going to look at we're going to look at this from from the point of view of of Isaiah 55, Job 36, and Psalm 115, knowing that God is God and we are not. Well, see, that's, that's why government wants to get rid of Christianity so they can make everything seem okay. Mm-hmm. In the place of God. And I would submit to you that every false teacher wants to do the same thing. There is absolutely no difference between a secular 
governmental uh, uh, entity that wants to take the place of God and a false teacher that wants mm-hmm. to get you to come along with him and or her because mm-hmm. they want to take the place of God. It is a Satanism mm-hmm. issue. Because Satan was the expert, and God used Satan as the prime example for us of what not to do. Amen? Amen. And he, he, we're going to see that he took a, a, a great many already with him. Some are already there. Some aren't there yet. Some are already there. And uh, we're going to see what Scripture says about how many people are going to be there. And will they... Mr. Bain, will they be there for an eternity, or will they not be there for an eternity? Because that's an important question. Well, no, I, I, and, and I'm, I've always believed that they will be an eternal thing, but it was that that phrase that they will be destroyed has always got me kind of thinking, well, mm. yeah. why would they say that? I mean, because Trouble like up. you said, in our mind, destroyed is, is annihilated, you're done. And so... Yeah, I've always thought that. Because but then you also mean. said it means separation. All right, but yeah. if they're if they're in hell, they're already separated. So uh, yeah. we have to look at so, what Scripture says because uh, uh, exactly right, yeah. exactly right. And, and we will do that because it's important that we get that right. Why? Why is it important that we get that one issue resolved? about whether or not there is annihilationism, meaning that people are not going to be in hell forever. They are just going to, they are going to be annihilated, which means ceasing to exist. And or, and or, they are going to be eternally separated from God for an eternity. Why is it important to resolve that issue? Well, yeah, because it has a big effect on, on, on what, what happens after you die. I mean, if you're going to be annihilated... Then there's no punishment in that. I mean, well, if you're going to be annihilated, then it is what it is. You'll never know the difference. You just burned up like a leaf. Yeah, I mean, you're gone and nothing well, comes of it. Yeah, let's eat, drink, and be merry. So, yeah, I mean, so really that, that comes back to, you know, nobody's going to hell, everybody's going to be okay. You're trying to lead us down that path, son. No, you are. <laughs> I'm trying to stir it right now. <laughs> Well, let's close in prayer.